episode 74 of Plundergrounds, Monday, June 10th, 2019, Interactive Fiction, Part 2. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Before we hit the main topic, I have a couple random things I want to share. There used to be a segment on the Gauntlet podcast called Giving Me Life. I don't know if they still do that or not, but the hosts would go around and talk about something from the previous week that had given them joy or inspired them or just made them laugh. And so I want to do that. I have two things this week that got to me uh, that made my week better. The first one was a series of comics, single panic, single panel comics, uh, in which two goblins, a larger one and a smaller one, kind of commiserate about their lives as goblins, and they are hilarious. I don't know, they're hilarious in a in a pathos sort of way. You can find them at goblinsgoblins.com. They very much reminded me of the vibe that I was going for with goblins as down-and-out creatures when I wrote the, the game Goblin Town. The second item is a little National Geographic feature, uh, maybe five minutes long. I believe I've seen this before, but I ran across it this week. It's on gra- uh, the grasshopper mouse, which is a, um, a carnivorous mouse that is an excellent hunter. And you see the mouse take down a number of things in the video. Uh, you see him take down a scorpion and then a centipede. But the best part of the whole video, and I mean, it, it really is kind of impressive. He's like a mongoose. Uh, the, the, the grasshopper mouse is kind of like the mongoose of the mouse world, if you will. Not afraid of anything and extremely quick. You know, agile can kind of turn in midair, uh, make quick strikes, and uh, knows where to hit, you know, uh, to avoid the stingers and all that. So it's just really cool. But the best part of the whole video is at the end when the little mouse is standing outside of his burrow and shouting triumphantly at the moon. <laughs> it's so great. It makes me laugh every time. Just out of joy, really, because this mouse is just so like proud of himself or, or you know, uh, sounding his ferocity. It's his barbaric yelp, if you will. So I highly recommend going to watch that if you need to pick me up this week. The third thing I want to talk about before we get into the main topic is I'm running Troika tonight for the first time. Uh, I don't remember ever being so intimidated by a game, actually. The rules are quite simple, so uh, that was easy to learn. The world is seeded through the backgrounds in a really evocative way, and so there's all kinds of cool stuff in there, and yet none of it is organized and into any kind of story, and... Uh, there's no like meta plots or anything like that. And until my players roll up characters, I'm not even sure what I'm going to have to work with. So I've got a couple agenda points that I want to hit tonight. Um, I, I just want to explore the rules, really explore the game a little bit, but I'm nervous about being able to create elements in this Troika world. It's kind of, you know, it's hard to describe. It's kind of Victorian. It's kind of steampunk. It's kind of science fiction. It's kind of heavy metal. Uh, it's got elements of everything kind of all brewed together, and it becomes its own thing. So uh, I've, I've got a couple little set pieces uh, in design, and I'm going to have to work on them some more today while I'm stealing a little time here and there from work. And I'm sure I'll be ready tonight, but 
Yeah, I'm nervous. I can't believe it. I've got some GM jitters. <laughs> so wish me luck. Anyway, let's get on to our main topic. Uh, I, this is going to be driven by call-ins. i got some great call-ins on interactive fiction, some cool recommendations, and it brings up some interesting topics related to uh, interact, interactive fiction and how it's structured and uh, things that might even, uh, well, certainly could be ported over into regular tabletop role-playing games. Hey, Ray. Um, yeah, I've read a few fighting fantasy in my time, um, although it was some while ago. Uh, but I do recall Death Trap Dungeons sticking in my mind as a particularly memorable one. However, that may just be because of the artwork in it, which is by, um, I think it's Ian McCaig, who's uh, an artist I particularly like. Um, also, I saw on Drive Through RPG. Uh, I say I saw it. I I got it, but it, I believe it was free. Uh, the Solitary GM by Carl Pernanen. Um It's a solo sort of engine, but it emulates players. So you run the game. The GM, which I thought was novel, might be worth looking at. It's only about five pages. Thank you, Spencer. Those are some great suggestions. I took a look at the Ian McKaig art. Um, I love, man, I love Google image search, right? It's so great. <laughs> so I just put in uh, Death Trap Dungeon Ian McKaig and um, into the Google image search and got a look at the kind of drawings that he had put in that book, and they are outstanding. So I may have to pick that one up. That sounds cool. Mostly just, uh, like I said, the art will sell it if nothing else will. And the Solitary GM very much interests me. That's a really cool idea. It's basically a player emulator instead of a GM emulator. Might be an interesting way to test out little scenarios. Might be an interesting way just to have some lonely fun. I don't know. I just like the idea, though. So I'm uh, really excited that you turned me on to that. And next up, we have Colin Spike Pit Green who's got a recommendation that, in my mind, is similar to this idea of the solitary GM in that it flips the tables a little bit on a typical scenario. Hi, Ray, it's Colin. Yeah, fighting fantasy, it, it definitely does have its frustrations for me. A, a lot of why I enjoy it is, you know, clearly the nostalgia and one thing and another, but I haven't played it. But one of the books, Creature of Havoc, is widely held as one of the best. It uh, In it, you take on the role of a monster. So you're, you're playing it from the monster's point of view. I picked this one up because I thought that sounded interesting, but I am yet to play it. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe you want to check out a review of it, see what you think, but... I thought it sounded interesting, but I'm always wary of recommending books because I don't think I'm any judge of writing, if that makes any sense. Uh, I'm not a good enough writer. That's another great recommendation, Spike Pit. I love it. Uh, playing as the monster. I have done that thing that I think a lot of D&D uh, &D groups have done where you play evil characters who set up a dungeon and then the GM plays explorers that go in and try to mess up all your stuff. <laughs> and that was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, we did it as kind of a one-off thing, I don't know, ages and ages ago. It's probably been almost three decades ago at this point. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to pick that one up too. And one of the things I like about these two recommendations, the one from Spencer of Death Trap Dungeon and yours of Creature of Havoc, which is a great uh, uh, what pun on the phrase Creature of Habit, uh, is that uh, Death Trap Dungeon was written by Ian Livingston and Creature of Havoc was written by Stephen Jackson. And, and so you get you get the pair there. Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson were the creators of those fighting fantasy books and then, of course, the founder of the Games Workshop uh, line. So it'd be kind of cool to see their different writing styles if I pick up both of those books. Hopefully I can find them relatively cheaply. Uh, I think this is also interesting in that since I'm running Troika tonight, uh, Troika's base mechanics are the same mechanics that you see in those old fighting fantasy books. Uh, Obviously evolved a little bit, but that's where they got their start. So it's neat to kind of have this continuum between things that are going on in my gaming life, uh, my interest in creative uh, interactive fiction, and my interest in Troika as a game. We'll see. I'll do an after-action report, of course, after I play tonight, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I won't. Good or bad, I promise. I'll, I'll report back and let you know how it goes. Next up, we have a couple voicemails from Liren who does the updates from Middle of Nowhere podcast. And she hits a couple great notes for me, so I'm going to play her voicemails, and then we'll talk about uh, three or four different topics, actually. Hi, Ray. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I really enjoyed your episode about interactive fiction. I have actually done a lot of that. Um, I have tried all different companies. Mostly I was playing with uh, the apps on my phone. So I need to look up and see which ones it was that I really liked. Um, I I can't remember. See, I should have looked this up before I called you. Anyway, I just wanted to say, you know, there's so much like a novel and like a novel, the style of the writer really decides whether you enjoy it or not. So one thing I don't like about a lot of them is I am by nature a pacifist. I really am. I don't like to fight. I don't like to hurt people or be mean to people. And I don't really enjoy games where I get rewarded for doing that. So that keeps me away from a lot of video games. And it stopped me from enjoying quite a few interactive fiction stories as well. Hey, it's Laren again. I found it. It's called Creatures Such As We. And that's the one I started out with. And that one is by Choice of Games. And I tried a whole bunch of their other games. And, you know, as I said, much like novels, some of them I liked and some of them I didn't. I mean, really, the thing with them is what do you get rewarded for and what do you get punished for, right? I mean, you know, you said that about running away or fighting and that it wasn't consistent. And I think that uh, what I realized was that it meant it mattered more to me who the author of the story was than what company published it because, you know, Choice of Games publishes a bazillion of those things. There's another company that does too, and I don't remember the name of it. But certainly they vary widely, and, and they vary because they have so many authors. So what I found was that there were certain authors I liked, so I would follow them instead of just randomly picking a game. Thank you so much, Laren. It's great to hear your voice on my podcast. You have such a great voice, and I've been hearing you on other people's podcasts, and I felt a little left out until now. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate you calling in and giving me such good things to talk about. First of all, like you, I am not a violent person. 
I think I've only punched one person in my entire life, and that was in junior high, and it was, I don't know, an ill-thought-out moment of uh, stupidity. Oh, I actually punched my brother one time, too, because he was annoying the crap out of me, my older brother, and then I was immediately horrified uh, and ran away and hid in my room because I thought he was just going to beat the snot out of me. Uh, He was bigger than I was, but I think think it shocked him so much that uh, he didn't know what to do. But I am just not a violent person. Uh, oddly enough, in some ways, that's kind of why I like role-playing games that have violence in them, because I don't connect, you know, if it gets too real for me, it would bother me, but I know it's a game, and I can kind of explore that a little bit without having, uh, you know, without being so raw to it, so, um, and I don't mind it in movies and things like that, maybe I've gotten desensitized. Uh, I used to have dreams every once in a while where I'd be extremely violent and I'd wake up just kind of shocked by the whole thing because I'm just not that in my real life. Uh, But of course, you know, that's what fantasy and imagination is about sometimes is kind of exploring parts of yourself that you would never ever um, live out or act on in real life. And uh, some people think that's a dangerous thing to do. I think it's a cathartic thing to do that, you know, it's a way of kind of getting that out of your system. And I think that's why I used to, I don't, haven't had one in ages, but used to have dreams where I would get violent. It's just because it was a part of myself that I wasn't going to explore in real life. And so it kind of expressed itself in my dreams. And uh, I was always, you know, these kind of strongly justified moments in my dreams where somebody was just being awful to me or to somebody else. And I was standing up for them. So I was also exploring this idea of, um, uh, having the moral high ground. It's interesting. Um, I'm going far afield here, but I once read a thing that said fantasy and the Western were the last two, uh, literary, what literary, uh, genres that dealt with the moral tale. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that if you look at Westerns, there's a lot of morality in Westerns. And if you look at fantasy, there's a lot of morality in fantasy, much more so than in science fiction or horror, for instance. So it's it's something to kind of chew on. And you might kind of look through a lot of the adventures or the books that you read and think about that and think about, you know, how does morality play into that? And a lot of it's about justifying the actions of the hero. In a lot of ways, it's about justifying violence. Uh, under which circumstances is violence okay? And, uh, or, or can we root for a hero who is violent? And uh, I think that's an interesting thought. So thank you for saying that. I think that's really cool. And I agree with you that one of the neat things about interactive fiction is that they often explore spaces, problem solving that has nothing to do with violence, partly because um, if they don't have mechanics, then there's there's not much interesting about fighting. You know, if you are given three narrative choices, uh, fight, talk it out or trick somebody none of those is inherently more interesting than the other if there's no like additional mechanics to support them, right? So one of the cool things about interactive fiction is you can make these choices and you can kind of be the hero you want to be in the fiction. And uh, now the authors kind of judge you in a funny way because they give you results based on what you choose. And some of that reflects who they are. But I, I think it's uh, it's I think it's really interesting that 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 goes on in interactive fiction. You're kind of defining who you are, and you're kind of getting to know who the author is as you negotiate this shared uh, tree of outcomes, if you will.
Okay. Um, what else did I want to talk about in there? You, you mentioned creatures such as we. I've never played through that, but I have seen it, and it's available on the web for free. You can play through. You don't need any special equipment, just a web browser and an internet connection. Uh, maybe I'll play through that and report back, but uh, I do remember that being mentioned in a book that I got a while back beca- uh, called Video Games for Humans. It's published by an independent publisher called Instar Books, and it is essays on games and playthroughs of really cutting edge or edgy interactive fiction. Interactive fiction that addresses themes that are unusual. Uh, it was written maybe, I'm going to call it six or seven years ago, and it uh, really kind of highlights that interactive fiction was exploring some liminal spaces in society, um, some up-and-coming issues. There was some uh, trans and uh, queer literature things in there. There was uh, some just bizarre things like Horsemaster. Um, there's one, I think, where you play through as a demon. I can't remember. So just uh, I think it was an interesting book to read, and you might like it quite a bit. There's uh, links. I think it comes with some games. I feel like it came with a CD that had some games on them, but mostly I enjoy just getting other people's impressions on how they play through these games and what they feel when they play through these games or why they love certain games of interactive fiction. What else? Um, Two other things that you said that I thought were really great. One of them was about rewarding player behavior. That I know you probably aren't getting it from here, but that thought was really prevalent in... Uh, Jared Sorensen's idea about game design, uh, this is going back to what, probably 2006 or something, where he talked about the big three, and uh, it was, what is your game about, how does it go about doing that, and what do you reward, reward players for, and there are questions that you need to ask yourself when you're designing a game, you basically predict what kind of player behavior you're going to get at the table by what you encourage and support with the rules, and so... Yes, I think it's it really is really something you have to think about it as a designer. It's a, it's a good point that you make that you really need to think about what kind of player behavior you're, you're rewarding. I've seen uh, we all have seen this some bad parenting go on where uh, uh, kids are acting out and then the parents punish them. But what what happens in the meantime? Well, it's I it's kind of like this delayed parenting thing where um, they let kids get wilder and wilder and wilder, and then they come down on them. Uh, the parents come down on them with a huge crashing penalty after you know after letting them get out of control. When if they'd have just started early on and rewarded them for good behavior and discouraged bad behavior, you know when it was not so amplified instead of kind of chuckling at it when they did little bad things, uh, then they wouldn't have gone on to do big bad things. (laughs) And uh, I I used to call that lack of house training. You know, when you'd have people come out of your house and their kids would just sort of run wild and uh, spill things and break things and uh, run into things, you know, and just cause havoc. (laughs) And then after about an hour of it, the parents would get super annoyed and and shout at him and make him sit down or something like that. It was awkward in both ways. I'm thinking, you know, if you just put a little time into teaching him how to behave in other people's houses uh, or saying something to him early on, it wouldn't have to be so embarrassing. But, and I, I ended up feeling bad for the kids in those situations, honestly, not because they got punished, but because they didn't understand why they got punished. Um, and and uh, I don't mean to associate kids with dogs, but there's some there's some things that are relative to training 
right? And one of the things they tell you is, um, you know, if your dog poos on the carpet, you don't wait for an hour before you punish it, right? If you get home and he, and he made a mess on the carpet and you don't know when it was, but it could have been hours ago, you don't get a newspaper and whack him on the nose because he won't remember or know what you're punishing him for. And they say, well, go rub his nose in it. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, maybe, but honestly, the, the, you know, I'm, uh, the crate training method where if you're going to leave the house, when you have a puppy, you put them in a crate, uh, make sure that they get a good walk beforehand and get a poop beforehand. Don't, you know, uh, give them a little water, but don't feed them too much. So they're not uncomfortable. You put them in the crate. And then as soon as you get back, you take them out again. Um, you know, you give them some food, you give them some water, you take them for a walk and they learn then, you know, dogs are a lot harder to potty train than like cats are, for instance, but you have to just think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. If you don't, you're going to get unexpected behaviors and not necessarily good ones, right? Okay. Um, I probably made a mess of that subject, but you probably you got where I was going. The other thing that you said, Liren, that I really liked was about following authors uh, or designers, not games. I think that's absolutely true. I think if you're an avid reader, you know this. If you read a book by an author and you like it, you're probably going to like other books by that author, even if they aren't necessarily in the genre that you would normally read. Now, there are exceptions to this. Uh, I actually am a Harry Potter fan. I realize that a lot of people aren't, especially people who are kind of, you know, hardcore nerds uh, like myself. My wife discovered the series before I did back in probably 98, I think, something like that, 99. I don't know, maybe it was maybe it was a little after that. I can't remember even when she started her series, but it was pretty early on. I think she had written uh, maybe two books at that point. And she told me how good it was, and I thought, oh, it can't be that good. My wife doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't read fantasy and science fiction. I'm the one who reads science, fantasy and science fiction. I'm the expert here, um, you know, but I tried it anyway because I thought, well, she really liked it. Let's see what it's like, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, you know, there were some little corny bits to it, and it is what it is. I always say it's uh, actually not fantasy, but boarding school stories uh, with a fantasy trapping, and I and I stand behind that. It's They are whodunit mysteries with... Um, that kind of boarding school, you know, grounding. They become increasingly fantasy as they go, but it's more about sneaking out at night and, um, you know, other kids who are bullies and, and seeing them get their just desserts and how you relate to your teachers and being away from your parents. You know, all that kind of stuff is, a, is in some ways a bigger theme early on than the magic. Okay, um, but I but I do think that's a really smart thing. Instead of saying I like D and D, for instance, it's much better to say you know I really dig the modules by Zeb Cook, and I think that says a lot more about what kind of D and D or what kind of adventure you like. And then if Zeb Cook writes a module for, um, which I think he did for um, Boot Hill or you know uh, Star Frontiers or something like that then you're probably going to like that adventure too. So you could go and use it and reskin it, or you could just go and play that system. But following an author or designer instead of following a specific trope of games is a really smart way to um, do your reading or do your playing, I think. Okay. Hmm. What else did I miss here? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of the interactive fiction tools that you can use to play around with if you've never messed around with interactive fiction. And it's actually quite good for building online generators. It's called Twine, T-W-I-N-E. 
Um, and I believe the website is twinery.org. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Um, but uh, I've messed around with it a couple times, and I built a couple tools based on it. I link those in the show notes as well. You have to follow uh, the link in the podcast goes to jellysaw.com, but it should take you to the page where I've got the show notes. And I made a randomizer that gives you a random GM move for Dungeon World. Uh, I made one that builds steadings for Dungeon World, random steadings. And I built one that is a card drawing engine for the game Itris B, which is really cool. That That's a card resolution system, and it's kind of in that um, uh, no but, yes and, you know, kind of uh, like Archipelago or... I was trying to think of some of the games that do that, but it's, it's, um, uh, what's the movement? It's like the, uh, um, the improv, improv stuff, right. That kind of found its way into role-playing games. And, uh, so you can see that when you look at the cards, but it's a little more than that too. Um, but, uh, I built those things with twine. It takes almost no programming knowledge, really takes, yeah, virtually no programming knowledge. You just build little, cells or objects of text uh you can there's a couple little uh, little code snippets that you can memorize that you know do random once you've done like one line that does a random number for instance or gives you a random result you can just copy that pattern over and over again to make others and it's really fun to play with so if you need a real simple um you know character generator or stuff generator or whatever for one of your games i highly recommend twine for that uh, I also have a page somewhere. I'll have to go dig it up. I have a page somewhere for Radhack that would generate uh, loot and uh, NPCs and other stuff for me on the fly when I needed things for Radhack. But uh, I have no idea where I stuck that. It's got to be around somewhere. <laughs> but Twine, really cool stuff. All right. I think that's it for today. I appreciate all of the call-ins. They have uh, really driven this show, really made the show great. They're topics that I would not have thought to talk about in relation to interactive fiction without some of your call-ins, and that is you know, flipping the tables on common tropes, like uh, playing uh, a solitaire game as the GM and having a party emulator or playing through interactive fiction as the monster or talking about violence and morality in games. Um, a rewarding player behavior and following authors and designers, not games. Those are all great subjects that I probably would not have hit, not have hit if I had been uh, just talking more about interactive fiction on my own. And I know this is a little rough, but it's Monday, and uh, you know it is what it is. I actually had a really terrible night of sleep. I didn't get off for my walk this morning, despite putting on my shoes and actually stepping outside the front door. I just had kind of a mental crash. Uh, my back has been hurting still, and it was a little chilly out this morning, and I just kind of failed myself. And I went back inside, and I sat down and put a cover on. I only had about, you know, 30 minutes before I had to get up anyway to, you know, get showered and get off to work. And honestly, just sat there kind of half dozing, kind of half feeling like a failure. Got off, took a shower, and I thought, you know what's going to make this better? I'm going to restart the day. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to get a podcast out there. And I'm going to feel better about myself. And you know what? It worked. Um, it worked. So thank you for listening because it gives me a chance to share and to express myself and be creative and talk, which I like to do. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a better Monday. I hope you're having a good one, too. Talk to you soon. This is Ray Otis signing off. It's been another episode of Plundergrounds. You can find links to all my stuff at www.rayotis.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And, uh, oh, not until next time. Uh, thanks to Logan Howard for my theme song, which is awesome. 
And until next time, look out for rest monsters.